Hi there, skating fans. Welcome to another edition of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. Fasten your seatbelts for this month's blog as Skate Canada's Competition Services Director, Norm Proft, dives into the life and times of Kurt Browning and the friendship they continue to share through skating. Take it away, Norm. Four-time Canadian champion, four-time world champion, three-time Canadian and three-time world professional champion, member of Skate Canada's Hall of Fame, member of the Order of Canada, star, director, and choreographer of ice shows around the world, TV specials, choreographer to some of this generation's greatest skaters, father of two boys, that part I'm not making up, (laughs) and of course you know him today as head judge on the wildly popular Battle of the Blades. I'm so happy to be sitting here today with the legend, my close friend, Kurt Browning. Yay, radio hug. Aw, got a little pat on the back. As we lead into the ISU World Figure Skating Championships 2020 in Montreal, we're going to be taking you into the world of the competitors through the eyes and heart of one who has lived these experiences. Kurt, how are you today? Nervous. Good, good. You should be. Yeah. Very important interview. Very important. Have an intro, Norm. Thanks. Why, thank you. I wrote it myself. So, yeah, we're here to talk about the World Championships. Uh, in only a couple months' time, competitors from all around the world are going to be descending on La Belle Provence. You like that French accent? Threw that in there just for you. Yeah. Do you need a translation at the bottom of that? I never knowing you at 15 that you would ever be able to do that. I'm very impressed. It's, you know what? It's the French girl. That's what did it. So, we're going to take you all the way back to 1987, Ottawa, Canada. Okay. 1987, the first time you qualified for a world championships team. I think the worlds were in Cincinnati that year. They were. Yeah. What did it feel like to you when you realized, I'm now going to the world championships? What was that moment feeling like? It was all about the clothes. It's all about the jacket, isn't it? It was all about it? the jacket. Mm-hmm. It was all about, there was something called the taupe option. The taupe the option. Team had. There was a black suit that you got with a tie. Um, and then there was also this ultra other wild, wild suit made of taupe. Um, and there was just something about entering into uh, a group of such respected skaters and getting to play the game, like find out what happens, what like what's it like. And, uh, you know, you saw Brian Orser and you saw Liz Manley and you saw those stars, but now you're in a photo shoot beside them or you're... Um, you're doing a media scrum, whatever that is. Oh my gosh, you're asking me all these questions. And, and it was, um, it was interesting. And then television too was bigger at the world championships and, uh, and the audience, it just everything reeked of more importance. And, uh, and so I think that when I made the team, it was excitement to find out what was behind the Emerald Curtain at the World Figure Skating Championships. So were you a little starstruck by anybody on the team at the time? And if so, who was the one that made you the most starstruck? Well, I would say it would have to be Brian Orser, but he was so uh, friendly and and a good teammate that that went away very quickly. Um, but Mike Slipchuk was my teammate as well. Mike Slipchuk made you starstruck. Um, he just struck me in the head and said, wake up, you're late for practice. Um, but Mike and I, uh, we got to do, uh, it wasn't at that competition, it was after, but we got to do a, sorry, it was before, we got to do a side-by-side double axel with Brian Orser. And that was one of the most starstruck moments when him and I were just paralyzed with fear 
that the three of us are going down the ice and we had to do a side-by-side double axle with Brian Orser. So I had a couple of years to get to know Brian before the world championships. Of course, through so, competitions here in Canada. Yeah, and a little bit of shows and, and stuff like that. So there was nobody on the team, but a great story about uh, Mike and I competing in figures. Now, of course, it's called figure skating. We don't remember figures, but um, figures took all day. For those of you that don't know what figures are, uh, mm. Google it. Yeah, actually, they're making a comeback. Yes, they yeah, are. They really are, and it's and it's exciting. But we can talk about that some other day. There's another but, there's uh, another blog uh, podcast for the future. Uh, yeah. So stay tuned. Figure skating. So uh, we had finished one of our compulsory figures, and then you actually went back to the hotel. And I remember we went back to the hotel. We watched Cocoon, the movie. Like so, we rented Cocoon. And we were in the elevator going up to our floor, and the doors open up, and we're like, blah 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 blah, blah, blah. and then we froze. Because in walked Katarina Witt. The Katarina Witt walked into your elevator. This is at your first world championships. 1987. So she wasn't two-time Olympic champion yet, but she was. Oh, my gosh. So all of the cool, suave, introductory lines that went through your head in that moment, anything that you said in that moment? Nothing. We just, we were, we went from loud and boisterous to quiet. And she sat, she stood in the between us, kind of looking at the doors, as you do. And then it was like, oddly silent so she kind of looked at mike and then she looked at me kind of giggled <laughs> doors open and she left and we were like holy crap that was catering a bit um so that happened at my first worlds which was a really exciting moment i gotta tell you all right so we're now at the world championships right you're on the bus you're going to the venue you get off the bus and there's the rink in front of you where the world championships are going to occur and you're walking in the door yeah. what did it feel like do you have any i don't remember that no um but I do remember, um, mostly I think that I was watching Brian. Like, I kind of remember his worlds more than mine. Because uh, Brian was a uh, big star. And we were in Brian Boitano's backyard. So we were in the United States. And to see what went on around Brian. I, I, I swear, I have more memories about Brian than I do myself at that championship. And of course, for Brian, that was a pretty successful world championships. He won it. Yeah, won absolutely. It. It was One of the his only world title? Uh, right? Yes, 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 I believe so. And with a phenomenal free skate performance. Yeah. One of the greatest. Crazy. So I, I learned uh, that you do not wear a, a sporting jacket while you skate that has open pockets and coins in it because the <laughs> Korean skater skated his program before Brian had his run through and coins were all over the ice. So all of us stopped practice and we're trying to scrape up coins that are frozen into the ice, making sure that it was safe. But Brian Orser was skating his long program next. <laughs> and he was, can I say it? He was pissed. He was really mad. Because back then, I think the run-throughs were more tied into your result in a way. Mm-hmm. The judges watched and made pretty hardcore decisions about where they were leaning before the actual competition. Mm. Way more like power in your in your program. Um, nowadays, you know, you step through it, you don't. It doesn't like they just judge what happens. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a little bit. So the run-throughs well, were very important for Brian, and, and especially if you're an official coming from another country, maybe you haven't had a good chance to get to know that skater. Well, there was no watching YouTube. Exactly, it wasn't like you could prep as well. Mm-hmm. So you really had to get the judge ready to throw that six. Mm-hmm. You had to coax them into it. You had to like lure it out of them. You had to like. You know, date the judges with your with your good skating all week. It was a, it was a it was a much 
I think a different week in competition. It was a what more made it different for you? Week. I think it was more stressful. We dressed up for um, practices. Uh, and by dressed up for practices, if a, for those, I think I remember back uh, in our days of skating, we actually had outfits made for practice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Shout out to Blue Skies on that one. Well, yeah, uh, Mike Slipchuk, uh, great. Um, he went to Blue Skies in, in Alberta and in Edmonton and said, um, we love your skating pants. Can you make special suits and things like that? And then the team jackets. And yeah, he... He made them a lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're now on the practices of the yeah. World Championships. And again, there's, there's, there's obviously a different feeling to being there in that environment. Anything else about the practices that well, felt differently for you? Um, trying to figure out how you fit in. So you're not, you're used to a few, and I was pretty, pretty not used to competing internationally. I kind of, you know, 1886, I think, I was my first international. I think, yeah, you, you, uh, you'd probably done Saint-Germain-Oberstorff or yeah, something like twice. that. So fairly quickly. Uh, Coupe d'Excellence in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Went to England once. Like, I just, I wasn't really privy to, and I certainly wasn't winning. You know, that was kind of a couple of medals or whatever. And, um, and so I was on the ice trying to figure out how do I fit in. Well, I had this trick called the quad. Um, and so I'm like, well, that's. That'll, that'll be good. That'll probably yeah, get a few people looking your way. Look my way. Yeah. So my coach, Michael Uranik, and we were in um, uh, a hall, not an arena. The Beside the arena was this sort of like a convention center situation. Mm-hmm. They put down styrofoam, put down the pipes, and then instantly it's an arena. It happens often in a competition. Oh, absolutely. Things, right? So it's not an arena feel whatsoever. There's short benches, not too many people. But I'm, I'm skating, and I, and I throw a quad and I'm, you know, I'm 20 nothing years old and I weigh 100 nothing pounds. It was kind of easy back then um, because you're just all testosterone and go. So I do it. And not, like absolutely nothing, like no, no applause, no recognition. Well, of course, no. it's a, basically a box with a sheet of ice yeah. in it. And nobody um, acknowledged it. I mean, nowadays, nobody really acknowledges the quads because they're kind of commonplace. But back in 1987, if you landed a quad... It was a big deal. There was, was probably you. I know Joseph was probably doing them. Joseph um, Sabachik. Joseph, Brian, Brian. Peter Barna, I think, was also doing some good ones. Peter was actually playing with Quad Lutz uh, as well. Right. Um, uh, Mike Slipchuck, actually, as well. Yes. So there was there was a handful of guys doing the quads, but not too many. So I did it, and I came back to my coach, and I was like, nobody nobody clapped. He goes, well, shrugged his shoulders. Brian Orster's case on the ice does a quad. Kind of two-foot, a little squeaky. Hmm. Massive round of applause, everyone freaking out. And I was like, what? what? Didn't you? They must have missed it. They must have, they just must have missed it. Right. So I skated down the ice and I did another one. Land, come back. Kind of someone from Canada. <laughs> and I'm looking at my coach. I'm like, well, why is no one clapping? And he goes, well, why would they? And I went, because I just did two quads. And he goes, but you're nobody. Why are they going to clap for you? You're nobody. And I went, well, and he goes, what are you going to do about it? Huh. So he knew how to play me. Mm. He really knew how to work on my ego, um, you know, when to stroke it and when to just shatter it so that I had to build it back up. Um, so, you know, I think the fourth quad, those was nice. There we go. So um, that's what the job was. You're nothing. You have to become something. <laughs> so you're at the World Figure Skating Championships, 15th in the figures, which was, I was hoping for... 12 or 13 or something. So 15 wasn't a disaster, but wasn't what I wanted. And 15th would probably put you in the third to last group. Third to last group. group. Yep. Uh, yep. And I would think going and into so the... so I did the short really well, which I don't... Honestly, I don't even remember. 
I don't really remember my skates. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, but I do remember still in my outfit, basically with my skates still on, watching the last group. So I'm standing by the boards, haven't taken my skates off. Like, I'm a fan at the World Figure Skating Championships. That's what I was. I think that's important for people to understand is when you're going to those championships, I mean, fundamentally, deep down in our hearts, we are fans of the sport. So there you are. You've we, got the we, best seats in the house I to watch the final group. I think skaters are fans of mm-hmm. the sport. Mm-hmm. Respectful skaters are also fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and commentators and coaches and, and judges. Like, we should be fans. Yeah. Um, so I was. So that's I was fangirling at everybody. And I was sitting there. And also, you know, like I've, I've got the quad. I've got a nice triple axel. Like, like I'm seeing myself as somebody who wants to compete at the top someday. And then I watched a kid do his long program. His name was Christopher Bowman. Hmm. And I had competed against Chris a little bit, and he skated in the big show at home in the United States. He was an American. Um, one of the best skaters we've ever seen, ever. And I thought to myself, I will never be a world figure skating champion as long as that guy skated. So and I in- remember that moment clearly. Huh. So in that moment where you're starting to realize, how do I fit into all this? Ironically enough, you actually in that moment felt, oh, wow. There's some there's some really yeah. serious competitors out here. So when did oh, that start to change? And to be honest, I don't. I think if I remember my own life correctly, uh, I don't think I had triple axel then. And uh, Calgary 1988, you had yeah, triple yeah. axel. So 87, I don't think I had it yet. Mm-hmm. Gregor's Filipowski, mm-hmm. who um, Tracy Wayneman's husband rec- right now. Tracy Wayneman's husband and just recently coached Roman Sadovsky. Yes. To the um, title. Incredible performance so yesterday. I sent an email yesterday. Congratulations. So, uh, Joseph, uh, Gregor Filipowski was doing triple axel. So I'm watching him on practice. <laughs> and it, you know, and I, I remember I'm there to learn. So I'm watching Gregor Filipowski build up all speed, lots of speed, lots of waiting edge. And then he would drop, as he's gliding backwards on his right foot, he would drop his left foot. Urch, urch, urch. He kept like hitting the brakes. So all the speed, he's losing it, losing it, and then basically did a triple axel that was, he looked like he got caught in a, in a washing machine. It was like parts everywhere. And they would kind of land this thing in one spot, this four foot long triple axel. And I went, but it's a triple axel. I, yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm sorry. If he can do it, I can do it. Because he was like, he wasn't attacking it. It, it, it was like, and he gave me so much confidence because I'm like, Okay, I just have to like go home. So three days after Worlds is when I did my first triple axel. Three Thanks. days after your first Thanks to World Filipowski. Hmm. Because when you watch Brian Botano and Brian Orser do it, it was a thing. It was a it was crazy how beautiful their triple axles were. If and we were looking at those powerful. double axles today, we'd be calling those plus four and plus five triple axles. Guaranteed, guaranteed, yeah. Guaranteed. Beautiful speed, beautiful flow. So nothing against Gregor's. He was on the world podium with me in nineteen eighty nine. Um, I love him very much, but the way he was hitting the brakes before his it's something triggered, and I went, I can do it, too. Come on, I can do it, too. Three days afterwards. Three days afterwards. Yeah, too bad nobody threw out a quad Lutz in front of you. Yeah. Imagine imagine <laughs> what could have happened. But um, me and Lutz um, have a better relationship than my... <laughs> you know, we hated each other. You used to Lutz. have a plastic toe cap on top of your skate. It wasn't plastic. It was made of really thick leather that my dad made. So my dad made it out of uh, uh, the back part of a saddle. He cut... Of old saddle, he cut that, and, and that was to protect it. your toe from and being he, spiked by the heel of your he, other blade yeah, on your triple X, wasn't Velcro it? Velcro on yeah. it, and it laced onto my foot because mm. I kept spiking my foot. 
Wow. I hated LUTs. As soon as I could, I stopped doing that job. <laughs> so going back to the world championships and, you know, trying to remember some of the, some of the moments of a world championships and the moments yep. that all of us as skaters remember and the moments that the current skaters have in front of them. You're standing by the boards. Your warm up group is about to go on the ice. Okay. I got a story. Okay. Um, so we're past the first worlds. 87 is done. Now, uh, 88 worlds. Budapest. Budapest. Um, and 89 worlds is a good one too. But 88. Paris. Uh, I got a story for you Budapest, about Paris. And, uh, it was exciting because it was right after the Olympics that were in Calgary. So the Olympics were, again, this crazy adventure where you, you're, you're not just part of the figure skating world. You're a superhuman. You're a superhero. Sorry. And Calgary was an Olympics at home in Canada. And more than just that, in your home Every province, three went. hours drive from your home. Which was weird because I went to the Olympics by getting in my car. <laughs> and I got out at the university, got out of the car, pulled my stuff out of the back and went, now I'm at the Olympics? Probably to a weird. place you've been multiple times too. You're like, Calgary. oh yeah, I recognize that building. I recognize I that building. I got my double axle in Calgary. Yeah. Like it was like <laughs> summer school in Calgary. Now I'm... What? The Olympics are here? That's really weird. So the Olympics were this awesome thing, um, and it went really well. And my coach said, if you want to try the quad, if the program's going good, you can try it at the end. So like later on in my program, I'd been skating well enough. I'm like, yeah, I think I got permission to try it. And I had it on a back outside edge, lost my edge, and fell. So um, I was like, oh, I almost did a quad. You know, It was pretty cool. Then Michael Barnett, who was Wayne Gretzky's agent, came to me in between the Olympics and Worlds, and said, I can get you a car, young man, if you just go and land that quad. So I went to my coach right away, and I said, the quad's the first jump in the program, because <laughs> that guy over there said he'd give me, me a car. car. Um, and if I recall correctly, uh, the first car, wasn't it a, was an Audi Quattro? Yeah, I remember so that, correctly? Was, that was the connection with yeah. the quad and Quattro in those mm -hmm, first circles. Mm -hmm. so, um, and I thought it was my car, but it wasn't. He, well, it was his car. To loan to me as a car dealership. One day I got a phone call. And he goes, bring my car back. I sold it. And I go, no, my, my car? You sold my car. You can't sell my car. He goes, your car? That's my car. And I just sold it. <laughs> the one with the first quad license plate. No, that was a later yeah. car. That came later with the Scirocco. Right. Or whatever that right. thing was. But, but coming back to the, uh, let, actually, let's talk about the quad a little bit. The one you sure. did in Budapest. So you're in so the that's, program. That's where I was getting yeah. to, you know, because I wanted to um, get this car. But also, um, Brian Boitano and Brian Orser were very busy not being able to make a mistake. So unlike skating now, where you can turf it hard, you still get seven points for that effort or five points, whatever it is. It didn't kill you. But back then... Under 6.0, make one big mistake. You make one big mistake, your competitor had you. What, and what happened in the short program if you missed the combination back in those days? I mean, that was an era well, that was almost impossible to recover from. It was from. because if you weren't in the top three after the short, and this is really hard for fans now to understand or maybe remember, but if you weren't in the top three after the short... It was almost over for you. In terms of winning the gold. The top skater had to be out of the top three and you had to win. Mm -hmm. Like, like it was the permeations and the math, math had to like really add up. So if you were fourth after the short. Second place was probably your best, the best you could do. Kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. really awful. So mm -hmm. you missed your combo. It, 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 so they were busy trying to be perfect and not make any mistakes. Couldn't make mistakes. So they what took about quads, you? They took quads out mm -hmm. of their program, of course. That was the point. But you think I'm, someone I'm like you, you kid nothing to, to lose. Make, yeah, I, I'm trying to make a mark. So the quads, pff, first jump in the program. So when I uh, I landed it and I did a back three turn, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I thought, well, they're not, you know, darn it. 
next time. <laughs> They're not going to count that. Mm-hmm. You know? So then I was kind of like mad and next triple axle was on a 45 degree angle, which I somehow landed. Although of. as an aside, I remember seeing you one time at a Western divisional championships in the junior men's short program. You did one that was probably 90 degrees to the ice. And all I remember seeing, and I think I was standing with Mike at the time, we see a foot touch the ice. Two arms come out of checkout, and you skated by Michael, your coach, and you kind of had this, like, I don't know how I did it, look on my face. <laughs> <laughs> and he's looking at you going, ah, no. I didn't teach him how to do that. Yeah. He used to say, um, uh, good skaters can land good jumps, but great skaters can land bad jumps. Hmm. Um, Todd Eldridge was the king, by the way. Todd oh. would go up so sideways, and then out of nowhere, a leg would just go, bing, and just stick out and kind of... Leave. Well, of course. He was a lefty jumper. I mean, those are the most talented jumpers out there. <laughs> Says Norm Prof, the lefty jumper. Keegan Messing's another one. Yeah. You can see yeah. him go up in the air, and somehow that core strength holds that boy on top of the blade. It does, but sometimes when you're not used to seeing a skater, or you only see them a couple times a season... You don't know, but back home, they're kind of practicing that same mistake over and over again. So they learn how to adapt to their own deficiencies. There's no way you can be that solid on a landing without having practiced that particular one hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times back home. I do agree. Yeah. Uh, So we're in Budapest. Yes. Um, uh, The five-minute warm-up goes great. Everything's Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And then I had a bunch of skaters to wait. So my coach takes me. We walk away from everybody, as skaters do, because we need our in our space. Gotta he find takes me your space. over to the other arena where the ladies are practicing. So now I find myself standing there. I'm watching Karen Kadavy, Liz Manley. Uh, I'm watching these ladies practice. There you are. You're back being a fan again. Yep. So I'm like watching them going, this is good. And they're coming over going, aren't you competing right now? Like, are you in the wrong place? Are you, are you in the, no, I'm good. Just you know, entertain me. <laughs> so my coach knew that that was probably for me the best version possible. Because, because if, I was going to say... focus didn't work for me. Yeah, because if if you're not busy doing something else, what could be going on inside your head if it's you don't have something else to think about? Just... But I'm all instinct, mm-hmm. and which is good or bad. I mean, you know, there's no Olympic medals upstairs in this house because, uh, because the instincts were wrong. But when the instincts were right, uh, I was I was really a good competitor. But... But that relying on the moment instead of being able to be calculated, um, it, it did cost me. And what would it feel like in the moment if you were actually in a good moment? Is that fun? Yeah. Fun. <laughs> like, just like, I wonder how loud they're going to be when I land this quad. Like, that's what I'm thinking as I'm skating into it. Or just how much more fun it is to win than lose. That was sort of my motivating factor. It's like, all right, I can skate good today and maybe win this thing. That would be way more fun than losing. That sucks. I think I'll do that. So if you could bottle that feeling and sell it to the competitors today, what would be some of the things you would tell them is inside this magic little bottle to help them find that moment? I would tell them, okay, I'll I'll revert to my coach again. Um, We have to remember to finish the quad story. But um, my coach got on the uh, airplane one time. I don't remember. I think we were going to uh, Europe to compete at Worlds. And the plane gets into the air. And and quite quickly, Michael, you're at two beers over here. And I'm like, well, the coach is like two fisting, you know, like, <laughs> why do you order two beers? And one, he put it's going to be a long flight, Michael. You know, you can flight. pace yourself you here. Can pace yourself, exactly. <laughs> but one beer got put in front of me. And I went, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, all the work is over. The competition is the reward, not the punishment. Mm-hmm. And I went, it sure is. A little and, penny just dropped right there. Yeah. And you think to yourself, well, you do all that work, spend all that money, injuries, stress, do it again today, long run-throughs, all those things. The comp- Wouldn't it be great if the competition was actually at 
a little bit like a reward instead of a punishment. Like, I wish this was over. And Scott Hamilton, another Olympic champion, uh, he used Legend. to say, never wish your life away. So wherever you are and what you're doing, you know, be there. So I, it was good advice. I heard an interview with Bianca Andreescu after she had her incredible the summer, star, right? the tennis star, yeah. Canada's amazing yeah, tennis star. Um, and she was asked a question after the U.S. Open said, you know, it must have been so hard on you, all that pressure that you had on you. And she says, you know, she says, Billie Jean King said something to me one time. She says, you know what? She says, pressure is a privilege. Because imagine, you have to have had the ability to get yourself into that situation yeah. to have that pressure. So yeah. she treats it as a privilege every single time she steps into a major it's competition. A brilliant quote, and I, I, I always liked I, the TV lights were a pain in the ass um, when the ice was just flooded, and they mm-hmm. always flooded for the last group, and blindingly white, blindingly white, and then it would bounce up. And mm-hmm. so for the first two minutes on warm up, it was just like I hated it. But then when the ice got scratched up a bit, then it was fine. And your but eyes I started loved, to get used to it a little bit. I, but I loved the pressure because because it, I was kind of lazy in that. You know, I could, you know, at home, as soon as you did your run through, there were kind of like, it was just a countdown to the next run through. Uh, lazy. Know, like, I remember seeing you sometimes in the music deck, and it kind of ticked off a few of us out there. You would do your program, down. you'd hit rewind, you, do it a second you time. You fight over the music? Never. <laughs> never. <laughs> and Mike Slipchuck involved in that? Never. Ever. <laughs> but the thing was, at competition, yeah. you only had to do it once. One program. One program. So I skate down the ice, do this jump, and do another one at the other end, and, you know, and, and then big applause, and you're a hero. Do it now. So in the moment before your music starting at a competition, you're at the World Championships, you're standing there at center ice, there's 20,000 people in the stands, right? And you know that moment, the the, the applause has all died down, there's two, three seconds of silence. What's going through your head in that moment? I suppose it's different every time. I mean, before the quad, it was literally going, this is so exciting. Like, you know, and I was actually thinking, really, don't mess up your steps before. (laughs) Like, literally... I was not nervous. I was just so fired up and excited that I was just trying to stay calm. Yeah. Like, just try to do a three-turn. Because you can overpower push. something yeah, like that. Ah, oh, my God. Skate Canada one year, I did the three-turn, and then I just did back double threes because I pushed so hard that I spun myself up. I never did the quad. I just, and then I came around the corner laughing, going, ah, that was embarrassing. <laughs> so I was, just, I was literally just so pumped up and excited about the potential of the moment. Um, and so I was disappointed when I did the three turn and mm. what I thought didn't, but uh, they, they ratified it. I, I guess they were probably thinking it was, it was held long enough before the three turns. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe for me. Yeah. I mean, they could have given it to Joseph Sabobchuk, but I think he had too long a hair and so they didn't give it to <laughs> Probably the hair got in the way of seeing the blade and they're gone. He, I can't tell if it was rotated or not. Somehow they, they didn't give it to him. And I also think, was it a, no, was it a European championship? So that was, oh, that was an ISU championship as well. You're right. Yeah. yeah. He, he definitely, as far as I'm concerned, um, Joseph was really the first guy to master the quad mm-hmm. and, and own it, mm-hmm. and uh, and the double wally too. He definitely, he definitely <laughs> deserved the moniker of being the guy to do the first quad. It, yeah. it should have been his um, double wally. So beautiful! Uh, oh, oh my god! Oh, I've seen it. It's so beautiful. I've and seen I've him do a double it. wally, and oh, and can't get around. Yeah, I didn't think it was actually possible. He like I'd actually arrived. Free leg behind him. So he rotates and the free leg just spins around behind him, which but makes it so beautiful. He's actually using the free leg to yeah, get the rotation but going. I instinctively keep switching my free leg to the front halfway through my double wally. <laughs> and how does that end up? It's painful. Yeah, fall yeah. by one. Anyways, mm-hmm. we digress. Okay, so Budapest, you've got the quad. Right. Yay, that happened. You're now done. So what happened after that? What was the attention like after that? 
it was like a lot of attention and then you know what are you going to do next and then back to work yeah then it was literally what are you going to do next because um brian orser retired brian botano retired and i started trying to think how again how do i fit into this so alexander alexander fedeev victor petrenko christopher bowman gregor Svopowski, um some pretty strong skaters in that generation yeah, there was a, there was there was some hot shot stuff going mm. on and there was other guys doing quads and so it became the quest for who's going to be the next champion. And also, you're not that guy who's sort of the unknown in the back rank doing not a anymore. quad and nobody's applauding. Not you're anymore. not that guy anymore. No, not yeah. anymore. Where did you finish in the free in Budapest, by the way? Third. At your second world championship. So, uh, and the small medal, some people don't know the about small the medals. small medal. The small medals are given out for each individual segment of an ISU championship. they're really, they're like... They're tiny. They're like a nickel. So. Have you seen the new ISU medals though? Yeah, they keep changing. Oh, they're quite they're quite lovely now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're they're not little anymore. Oh yeah, they're 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 big beauties. I like my little medal. Mm, but um, so I actually got to stand on not a podium but on a stage in oh. front of everybody at the closing banquet and get my small medal with, beside Brian Botano who got the silver and Brian Orser who got the gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and how so, did that feel? And Brian Botano won. The overall. Yes. But Orser won the free skate. Mm-hmm. And without figures, I think Orser would have been like two-time Olympic champion and three or four-time world champion. Because remember that in 1984 and 1988, he was a silver medalist. So that's yeah. two times. So he, would have, he would have won. Yeah. Gold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, figures. He's a gold medal in our hearts. You're a fan of figure skating? I am a fan of figure skating. Who's who's the one skater who's won worlds with and without figures? The one skater who has won worlds with and without figures. Oh, good heavens. Uh, can I ask uh, for a hint? Is it a man or a woman? It's a man. It's a man. Sometimes. That would be sometime in the 19... Was Ermanov around at that time? Well, figures ended in 90. How's that for a hint? <sighs> figures in 1990. Nope. Nope, I don't think I'm going to get this one. <laughs> Not that much of a figure skating fan. So who so, was it? Uh, I won Worlds in 89 and 90. Yeah. And then two more afterwards. So it was me. The, now there's, see, I could have included that in the introduction. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to stop this interview now. We're going to go back <laughs> to the beginning and we're going to do it all again yeah. and get every single word so in again. So that's just coincidence, but there's, it's kind of cool. Somebody not, pointed that out to me and I went, that's neat. So in the new edition of Trivial Pursuit, that's we right. might be able to see that question in there. You might see it. Well, congratulations. Um, so now we're coming up to Paris. Okay. Going into a world championships. And by the way, very nice music choice when you're going to be skating a world championships yeah, I, I, in Paris. What were you skating to at that get one? The, get the Parisian. You, of course. So I don't know who made that choice. Um, Michael Uranic, my coach, or somebody else. I, I don't, I don't remember, but it was smart. It was very very smart, smart choice. Very smart choice. And back in the days when we had onesie costumes, remember that? <laughs> yeah. We, we did. <laughs> There's still some out there, but, uh. I think the onesie needs to make a comeback. I had, uh, and very flared out pants at the bottom. And of course you attached them and to the front of your laces. Top, yes, absolutely. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they you were styling. Like sails that slowed you down as you rotated. <laughs> and of course, the king of wearing pants like that. Joseph Sabovic. Joseph Sabovic. Absolutely. <laughs> and if your pants were wide enough, you would even have a little hook the at back. the back of the absolutely. pants to hold that so down as well. my dad had to put screws into my heels so that we could loop the back of my Dewey pants. Dewey would be putting uh, screws yeah. into the back of your skates. Absolutely. So could, and that little loop. Yeah. Dude. So we're heading into Paris. Right. Okay. So uh, it was just it was just really um, deciding how you fit in. So what happened is that I beat Boitano, I beat Fedev, mm-hmm. and I'd beaten Victor um, at three different events. 
which in my opinion put me ranked number one in the world. So walking into those world championships, did you feel that they were yours to win? As long as I was top five in figures, I figured I could win it. And in the figures, where'd you finish? Fifth. So once I got fifth in figures, I went, well, now I just got to win the short and the long and then I'm good. Just win the short and the long. Yeah. So all I had to do was do what I did earlier in the year and I'll be world fit, you know, figures getting jump. Like it was very pretty simple math. Yeah. You know, Win it wasn't short, win the long. in your mind. It wasn't like I have a really big stretch goal that maybe if the stars line up, it was like no, this is a realistic goal going in here, yeah. going into your third world championships. Well, yeah, because Brian and Brian were gone. So, <laughs> so you one time told me a story about a thing that you called the fear of success. Yes, that and if I'm going to try and paraphrase you here, that if I truly believe I can do something spectacular, and if I don't, I might let myself down greatly. And a lot of people will hold back because they don't want to put themselves in a place where they could disappoint themselves that badly. If I don't really try, I didn't really fail. Right. Um, and if I aim for here, I can achieve here and be satisfied with where. For those of you listening at home, my hand is about uh, <laughs> three feet off the floor. Actually, your hand is exactly as much snow fell in St. John's the other day. <laughs> I saw pictures of cars that were buried up to the hoods. Yeah, Shout on. out to all our fans there in, uh, in uh, Newfoundland. Yeah, I hope you dig, dig yep. yourselves out. That was, that was pretty rough. So, yeah, so what was. How were you able to overcome, put yourself in a position where fear of I, success didn't hold you back? I mean,. We grew up together when both of us had strong, solid egos. Like we, we were, we were cocky kids. Mm. And I think that helps when you're waiting for your music to start at center ice, wearing something your mom made, you better have a good sense of self. Probably yeah. royal blue. <laughs> By the way, just on the topic of costumes, I'm going to squirrel us one more time. I remember we were standing backstage at a Canadian championships and I feel like it was you, me, Mike, maybe Marcus Christensen. Oh, yeah, and we're all wearing, um, I guess I'm going to call them very bright costumes as it was back in the 1980s and i think it might have been marcus that said so if the building was to burst into flames right now would you a run outside or would you b take the time to get changed out of your costume (laughs) into street clothes before you go outside and i feel like all four of us looked down at ourselves and went no i'm getting changed yeah (laughs) oh that's funny i don't remember that moment so coming back to paris and uh so we Uh, we're at the we're at the short program now Okay, so uh, I do have a good short program story because um, quickie, quickie story before that, uh, the day of the long program, I'll get to that. Okay, sorry. You enjoying my random thoughts? You know, being me is hard. Random thoughts with Kurt Browning. Bouncing around in my own head. So uh, the short program warm-up goes good, and I get out there, and I have this weird starting position where I kind of put my toe pick behind my foot, and my choreographer had this back arched weird thing where my if you if that's, you can see me my arms are sticking out kind of look like a pterodactyl that's the free program no that's oh, the that, short oh that's right and the short program was to i don't know for all of you a soundhound on your phones right now uh, rewind the interview play that piece again and then let us know what you discover i don't remember what it's called so, da, 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 you're in your pterodactyl pose anyways i'm in my pterodactyl pose right so i go like this and i look and I look up at the audience, and I'm like, okay, make eye contact, keep your head up, and I look, and I go, that's André Bourgeois. <laughs> André Bourgeois was André in the stands Bourgeois. in Paris in 19, 1989. Yeah, so he was a senior man before me. Of course. You know, and uh, I'd never really competed against him or anything, but I'd met him at national team seminars and stuff, and I didn't really know him well. 
I mean, there was even the chance that I wouldn't even remember his name as we didn't really know each other. But I'm in Paris, about to try and win Worlds. So I look up and I go, that's Andre Bouchard. And off I went. And I'm like, what's he doing here? Oh, that's really strange. How could I see him in the stands? Huh. Out of really 10,000 people sitting in the stands. 10,000 people. I look up and I saw Andre Bouchard. Skated down the ice and did the best triple axel of my life. Hmm. So it was... Back then... So instead of watching the women practice right beforehand... I had Andre. You, you had Andre. There you go. <laughs> Who I saw yesterday. And I, of course. Of course. Anyways. Uh, as a note, for everybody that's listening in right now, uh, we're sitting at Kurt's place the day after the Canadian Tire National Skating Championships True. that are just finishing here in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, and as a matter of fact, today is the day of the gala. So we're hoping all the skaters have a great day at the gala. Sober up. Off you go. <laughs> so I, I'm skating into this... Um, this what ends up being, I think, the best jump I've ever done in my life, and it was footwork into triple axel. So there was no back outside edge. It was right. like there was a shock taw, mohawk shock taw, and literally, if you held the back outside edge too long, they wouldn't count it. I think they, I think they what it was because the element required steps beforehand. Steps beforehand. So if if yeah. you held the edge beforehand too long, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, it would have received maybe some form of deduction yeah, for not having steps beforehand. Meant. It was kind of like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was judges, a big deal. The judges, if they wanted to, could use that to, to change to, the outcome to yeah. separate the men from the boys. As and it were. back then, there was no rule saying you couldn't do two triple axles. Correct. So of course we were doing two triple axles because that's worth a lot of points. I remember Calgary in 1988. You had two triple axles. Skating two and what was the music in Calgary Tequila. again? Tequila. <laughs> Do you want to sing that one too? So uh, get your sound hands so out. So the, the short program goes great, and I'm just I just only saw a win. Mm. After I skated, I sat on a stool and I there was still three or four skaters to go. So I skated early in the last flight beside Michael Granick on some of this like on this like weird stage kind of a thing. We were mm-hmm. just sitting there, pulled up two stools and just watched, making ourselves. Like thinking about it afterwards, making ourselves very easy to see by the other competitors, which we didn't do on purpose. Mm-hmm. But somebody pointed out to us, and we're like, "Oh no, that was not a game. That was just like, look at these great seats. We'll just sit right here. It's Paris. Um, it's seats Paris. in the house." And something weird happened after I was done skating. All that cockiness went away, and I started going, "Well, this really isn't going to happen." Because there just seemed Ooh. like this this great skater after great skater after great skater. How is it really? going to stand huh. up. How was I going to stay in first place? But somehow a little fault or a little mistake or a fall or a trip or a stumble or whatever and just one by one, uh, it became a reality. And this was in the free program where you're sitting this there? This was in the free program. And in the moment, so was there a moment you said, uh, oh, geez, I'm thinking, oh, the great skater after great skater after great skater, this might not happen. Was there a moment where you really truly went, oh no, this is now happening? It was very near the end. And how did that feel? Uh, okay. This is the first time you won a world championship. It was really calm. It was very calm. Because um, somehow it just sort of, it's just how, it, it gullibly, is that a word? In mm-hmm. a gullible way, it just made sense that I'd won. Mm-hmm. In a bit of an arrogant, gullible way. You know, and, and when they faltered, it kind of wished everyone had skated great. And then you still win. But that kind of went away really quick. But a win <laughs> is a world a, champion. Get over it. A win is a win against a, win a, is a, win a, is a pretty win. deep field. That Nobody was... cares how the person let you win. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody cares what happened at the Olympics when they just see the guy that won. So I took it and then, then I was ready for the big party that Skate Canada back then called, um, you know, CFSA. Yes. The Canadian Figure Skating Association. Because you win worlds mm-hmm. and I saw it in Cincinnati, 200 people show up in a banquet hall 
It's booze and food and parties and speeches and awards and presents. That's what happens to world So you're hearing it here, folks. The reason why Kurt Browning wanted to win a world championships was for the party. Nope. No. No, I just wanted to win. Ah. But as soon as I won, I went, I'm going to get that party. Great. That's what happened to Brian Orser in 1987. And how was your party? Uh, didn't exist. There was oh. me and my dad and a few other of the teammates sitting on the floor in the hotel lobby. Uh, not in the lobby, in our, in our, in our, in our hotel floor. Um, just having a few beers. Didn't get the invitations out? They didn't think I was going to win. There was nothing organized. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing planned. There was no of scrambling. Was going to win. There was the room rented. There was catering. There was Absolutely. The whole thing. So I got. Uh, I, I got. Uh, we just drank some beers in the, well, in the hallway. Just to let you know, um, when it came across the radio, uh, I was in my car um, driving down. Everybody in Vancouver is going to know this one. I was driving down Highway One in Burnaby, actually quite close to where the BC section offices are today, <laughs> and I think our BC. Friend Friends would also appreciate this. I was stuck in traffic. Um, so it comes on the radio. Um, Kurt Browning from Caroline, Alberta is now the world figure skating champion. When I heard that come across the radio, I actually got out of my car and I danced around the car. So while you were celebrating in the hotel lobby uh, with a beer and your dad. Not even the lobby, just in the hallway. Although, you know what? Yeah. Great, it was nice. It great was person great. to be celebrating with your dad. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, it was it was great, and then I got to do some shows in Europe and hmm. be be announced as world champion, and um, and then they would um, they after my program they would start chanting in Europe to quad. ask for the quad, yeah, uh, quad quad. So then yeah. you had to skate down the ice and kill yourself trying to quad. Talking about the quad, so you talk about that triple axel that you did in Paris yeah. as being the best jump you ever did. Sweet. I have the an, first one out of four. The second one was a little crazy. I have another one for, to put forth for consideration. Shakutami, oh, Canadian so Championships. Uh, I'd say about, what, 25, 26 people sitting in the stands? <laughs> and uh, I think I drew really? last to skate in the warm-up. Uh, you were one or two skaters before me. And uh, Scott Grover. Do you remember Scott yeah, Grover? I remember Scott Grover. He was, I think at that point, already working in the truck for television. And he turns to me and he goes, Norm, Norm, you have to see this. And he takes me back in the TV truck, right? And he winds it back on. This is before I skated. You were watching the ladies skate at your world championships. Me, I was being distracted by, and I have to say, he played it back for me on the replay. That was the sweetest quad. Uh, it was the sweetest jump I'd ever seen, and there was only 25 people in the stands to see it. It was a good But did that feel like a good one for you, too? Here's why. Um, I was especially motivated to do that one because... Still in the back of my mind, I had three turned the one in Budapest. Right. And it bugged me because, I mean, come on. It wasn't, I landed it, I guess. <laughs> it was, it, it bugged me. So I was keeping really an eye out in the news and everything going, okay, so no one else has landed another one? Because mm-hmm. in my mind, that would really bug me. So I wanted to get one out there fast so that I could personally say, no. That there it was. was. There it was. So when I landed that, uh, two things happened. <laughs> I was I landed twenty-five it, people clapped. First jump. Well, first jump in the program. Landed it, and I mean, oh, it oh was, yeah. I was in the air going, oh, this is going to be a good one. And landed it, and two things happened. I was like, there, that's the quad, and I'm Canadian champion. <laughs> I just, I was like, yeah, the rest of us didn't have much to fight after against. After my that. first jump, I was like, okay, just don't fall three times, and you'll be okay. So now, fast forward one year. Did I mention so, the cocky son? But you know what? I think. Some people use the term cocky. Other people use the term arrogant. You have to have a certain level of high-level confidence in yourself to be successful. Because would you say the difference between being at the very top and being one place down, 
I mean, that's huge. The level of confidence that you have to have to achieve that has to be high. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? And I'd rather watch a performer with confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really would, whether it's a singer or a, mm-hmm. you know, bullfighter or hockey player, whatever, like that bravado, it's. And if you're, if, if you're going to go, if, if you're going to go for it, go for it. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to fail, fail greatly, yeah, but at least true. try and achieve greatness. And harken back to what you were saying, uh, the quote, um, by Bianca Andreescu. Right. And actually, I believe she said it was Billie Jean King that That's told right. her that. So that quote's amazing. And it's, pressure and it's, is a privilege. You know, and, yeah. uh, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to just go out there. You want to just go out in a blaze of glory. If you like, go for it. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of, smarts about you know it's like you just go out there and throw jumps that you have no right trying <laughs> okay well maybe that wasn't so smart so All now right. so we're, one we're trying year. to i know that what you what you really want is that yeah. feeling inside the brain of the competitors at the world in those moments right? what's it like when you're standing by the boards you're ready to go up for the warm-up well okay you what you does that feel like was that joke that marcus christensen made yeah. which I, I wish i remembered but uh, about making fun of how, how we look yeah like dare us to walk downtown afterwards and not get beat up <laughs> and um there's a lot of camaraderie with the guys i think the male skaters uh feed off of each other um keegan messing T- keegan and, and now watch the two of them on a yeah. warm-up it's a six minute warm-up for competition and they're like they're high-fiving each other yeah, yeah. did you see them do the, the paper rock scissors yes before i did they took off yeah um a lot of fun. I think mm-hmm. that the guys have that, and uh, the girls. I I pity the, them because the, the ladies' event. I I don't feel has very much of that, but it was fun, and we were in the trenches together. We were competing against each other, but we were there together. It, when you're when you're on the ice, actually doing the program, our job is to beat each other. But as soon as the competition is finished, that's yeah. your tribe. Well, a speech that I give at my seminars to skaters is that, guys, we don't ever really get beat. And here's why. Because we're alone on the ice. So nobody can, nobody can taint your moment. Because you're, you're, you're literally alone. Now, maybe the mark that comes up at the end will be lower than someone else's, but they never can take that moment from you, your judges, and how that happens. You fall four times. The way you play that four falls, you, Get a, kind of like a standing ovation at the end because you took them with you on that journey and you bowed like crazy and and that's the moment they remember. And if you show the audience that you're going to fight through those, yeah. they're going to they're going to see that fight. They're going to feel that spirit and, and be part of that. When you include them, when you include an audience, you can't take that away from you. So was that a thing you like to do? You like to bring the audience along uh, with you? I think it was necessary. Otherwise, you're alone out there. Yeah, that's yeah. that's bored. That's every day. Yeah, but you know. What a coincidence. There's a lot of people here today. <laughs> so what would you do to bring them along? Um, the warm-up was important. Uh, would you look into the crowd? As a professional, I created that clown. We, we oh, Sandra Bezik and Michael Siebert, and I created that clown that character. That incredible clown character. And that was a fun warm-up when I competed with that. Yeah. Because there, it, wasn't, it was just about making friends and, and getting mm-hmm. them to know the clown so that when your music started, they knew you already. That was really fun. So competing... It was a show. Uh, the the warm up was a bit of a show as well, and I I somehow I don't know. You know, it was like uphill to school both ways. Always, you know, like it was always better back when. But I felt like audiences now are in in Asia. I believe they're a little bit like this, but they're they're much more respectful. I guess I don't mm-hmm. know. Somehow, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, somebody goes down the ice and does quad lutz triple toe. 
And there's which, nothing? Which did you ever think you would even hear yourself say that? I wouldn't that? say that. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. Like when I'm commentating and I say, oh, two foot of the quad flip. I just said quad flip. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, I'm still not used to it. But I think that being able to tap into the energy of the moment. Because there's energy that you can pull from an audience if you know how to do well, it. Not just an audience, but a competitive audience. Mm-hmm. And that's everybody's tense. So when you see a skater and they drop... They drop their program for three seconds. They do a couple finger points and the crowd goes, yay. I mean, I'm sorry. It's nothing. It's two (laughs) finger points. But the audience is so starved for inclusion Mm -hmm. in this tense moments that it really doesn't take much to get them. So when you can tap into that energy, now you're not a skater anymore. You're like, you're electrified entertainment. You know, you're tapping into the audience and the potential of the loss or the win or everyone's at home watching on TV and the whole thing's come to this moment. So that wave, and I say that my quote is that, you know, and it's, it's been used many times, but there is a wave and you can ride it or you can get swept away by it. Oh, that's and a great when you're quote. on top of the wave of energy mm-hmm. that's created. That's a high, a high that you, you rarely get even somebody competing for years rarely knows that you step, you finish and you're vibrating because I could do no wrong. I literally was immortal. And you were there at the end of, junior. At the end of the at the end of the performance, you've used up none of your energy because you're feeding off all oh, the energy yeah. you're getting from them, and you're like, I could do this whole solo again. Yeah, I'm absolutely fresh. Yeah. Talking about riding the energy this year at Skate Canada International, I think we saw an example of that. Nam following Yazuro. Yazuro's performance yes. blew the roof off that rink, and in that moment, this is just me. Imagining it, Nam had two choices, to be crushed by the energy inside that building or to absolutely ride that wave. Yeah. And boy, did he ride that when wave. When Yuzuru finished, it was the NHK competition in Japan. Mm-hmm. But when Nam started skating, it came back to Skate Canada. Mm-hmm. He brought it back home. He brought, he brought the hometown advantage to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, yeah, he was, it was a very cool moment. That's really taking advantage of the energy in the building. Yeah. So yeah, so come So back. that's what you dream for, right? Yeah. So to come back to the mindset. So you're looking for signs. And so one of the things that I did as a competitor is that I knew or I started to notice that on big days in your life, because you know, this could change the way people literally, we wouldn't be doing this interview if those great days hadn't happened. Like it changes your life. Um, pays for kids going to whatever school you want. Choices of work. Um, just being greeted by people that should have forgotten you, but they don't because you want work. Mm-hmm. Literally mm-hmm. changes your life. Mm-hmm. So how do you even function, right? So you're looking for signs. And during the day, um, a wave of doubt usually hits you somehow in some way. Um, you walk into the building and it's just like a, it gets cold. I get cold. Like a, and it's not, it's not like, it's like something's taking you over. And then you can sit there and you can close your eyes and you can go, I can fall off the cliff or I can stand here and lean into the wind. You know, like I can just, I can take this moment and own it or I can, very easily let it like almost drift. You just drift over the edge mm-hmm. and then you're falling. Mm-hmm. So that same thing happens when you do a jump under pressure. You're in the air. You're a little bit leaning. Do you just, you see skaters and you go, why did they reach for the ice at the national championships? It's because it's just too much. It's almost like you just can't see any outcome other than failure and you succumb to it. Or you're like, no, no. Not happening, not on my watch. The right shoulder goes back, 
the blade hits, you engage your core, and you do a little twist with your core, and all of a sudden, whew, not letting that happen again, and away you go. And it's split second shit. But I think you also win or lose before you get to the rink. How so? That moment. That moment that comes to, I think, most everybody when you decide before you put your outfit on if you're going to win or not. Mm-hmm. Are you going to, when the moment comes, are you going to take it head on and do it? And there, there are competitions, there are even shows. You know, I'm in Chikudami doing a show and I just know, yeah, I just, I can't get on top of the wave today. It's a little tiny wave. It's not mm-hmm. worlds. Mm-hmm. But it happens every single time you perform. And, um, you know, and it's a battle. It really is. Hmm. And I, I, I love the analogy of being able to either ride on top of that wave or just get sucked just under get, by it. Just get, and the just difference, of course, in the moment, like you said, it's it's absolute split seconds. Yeah. But what I love about that is the, the conscious decision of I am going to stay on top of this today. I am yeah. going to lean into that wind today. And I do. Yeah, that was a good line, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you. I do not think that we have usually – sorry, that was a weird sense. I – know that usually skaters don't have things planned in the programs that they can't do. One would hope. Logically, so we should be having seven or eight out of ten skaters skating clean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Logically. But somehow we get out there and nothing feels normal. The pressure of the moment, everything feels different. Everything feels different. Yeah. And yeah. Um, So it, it was always interesting. My coach always kept things really simple. He's like, tight in the air, finish. Finish the jump. Tight mm-hmm. in the air, finish. And you can see skaters without confidence um, uh, going up in the air, and the bum is a little bit sticking out because mm-hmm. they've piked ever so slightly. Because that's a scent that when you little if bit I'm caution, gonna hit you mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna bend. Mm-hmm. You're gonna tighten your core, and you're gonna bend, and mm-hmm. your arms come up, and the shoulders come up, and it's a defensive position. And as soon as you hit that, it's over. Mm-hmm. It's and over. again, the difference is this much. Yeah. Um, so now we're heading into, uh, I think your second world championships, your first time defending the world championships. Yeah. Was that not in Canada, Halifax? Yeah. Yeah. So what's it like going into a world championships where you are the champion? Um, so you're I a could... different person now. You're not the unknown anymore, yeah. right? You're more than just known for having the quad. You're now the world champion competing in your own backyard. Yeah. I spent that whole year on the beach watching the tsunami just hit me over and over and over that wave we talk about i was under it all the, year i was under it the 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 media the media, sport the expectations my skates don't feel right and here's what it was and right? at the time too figure skating was extremely popular too this yeah. was a, this was an incredibly popular sport in north america yeah you were famous pastor sport back then mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. weren't just famous as a figure skater you were you were just known yeah you, you were a, you a were celebrity just, you were a celebrity yeah. ish and um, diet coke i was used to watching Previous champions, so you know, Pokar and Orser, mm. Taller, and mm-hmm. um, you know, like these guys, Boitano and Scott Hamilton. These guys, they didn't miss. I missed all the time. Like I was, I was really that guy that could channel all his talent, and and quite often put it at the, in action at the right moment and find that dynamic performance that dynamic. in the moment. And it's like, how many how many clean long programs did you have before Canadians? I think I did one last week. I'm not sure. Like, none. <laughs> Whereas guys like Brian and yeah. Scotty. So I often made a mistake in my program. Like, I, I wasn't that skater. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't that robot that Chris Yamaguchi could, could just turn. It look, she made it look easy. She Every morning, on Every a morning 7 o'clock free o'clock, skate, 
She would have a clean, short program in the bank before the rest of us had uh, like finished our coffee. Cake. Every time we tell that story, the free skate gets earlier. Yeah. Five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> remember the midnight free skate? That was, that was one of my best, the midnight free skate. <laughs> I remember midnight figures, but not midnight free skate. So anyways, I, uh, I got self-aware. I became self-aware. And what does that, that mean year, for you? That means that you can't tie your own shoes. You second-guess does the lace go behind and over. Like you just... You second guess everything. Paralysis by analysis. Exactly. And so what happened is that I, I couldn't go in the air and enjoy it. I was in the air and I would find, oh, the wind up here today is a little tempid. You know, like I was like super aware. And of course I was falling and messing up and I wasn't winning and I wasn't performing well. And it was, it was a terrible year. You became very attentive to your skates, your blade position. Yes, that's true. Yeah. 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 In a bad way. So Halifax in a was actually. unnecessary way. Oh. And so Halifax was something that was actually challenging for you then. And, and even more so, um, well, the figures went well. I came second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Michael. Do you remember Uranic, what the figures were? Do you remember the figure draw? Great question. Yeah. Back paragraph loop, I think. That's all I can remember. Mm-hmm. I think was, it was back paragraph loop. Was that a good figure for you? Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 And, um, and there was a phenomenal guy that couldn't be beat. He was a, he was a figure wizard. And I don't remember who he was. Oh, okay. Um, he came first. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I wouldn't have won. Uh-huh. But Michael Uranic made me do three hours of figures a day for I don't know how long before Worlds. Mm-hmm. He, and you know how long out of your day it takes to get three hours of figures in because you have to wait for floods? You have to wait for little kids to do their free skate session. So that you, like, just, it took five hours out of your day to get three hours of ice time to do three hours of figures. And of course, a figure and session, it, it paid off. And a figure session isn't exactly something where the clock flies by really quickly, <laughs> right? So three hours of figures feels like three weeks of figures. Yeah. So each session's usually 45 <laughs> minutes. Oh. But you know what? Uh, that was pretty awesome. But when it came time to skate, uh, Chris Bowman was on fire. Victor Petrenko was skating great. And I was not. And I actually that week put my back out as well. Mm. So I got on the ice for practice, went to do a double sal. Back goes out. And I come over and I'm looking at my coach going, I have to get off the ice right now. And this double is on practice at the double World Championships. Off, yeah. And I got off the ice, and I'm like, he goes, okay, we'll get off the ice. I go, I can't get my guards. So I couldn't pick up my guards. And then, so my coach is putting my guards on, and we walk. And there was a um, team doctor that, how gross you, how, how gross should I be? He stood over me and basically put his hands on my back and on my body mm-hmm. and didn't do anything but sweat on me. And I don't remember his name. Hmm. He healed me. He literally healed me. And I got off the table, touched my toes, and went, thanks, Doc. Done. And then I went and won the short program. <laughs> it was crazy. So, so, was that, that, so that practice was the day of the short program. Yeah. This wasn't like a few days before the short yeah. program. This is on the day of the short program. Yeah. So what was... Nobody that, knew. We didn't tell anybody. So you actually got off the practice before the practice was even finished. Yeah. And was there... <gasps> there must have been it. What am I doing? Norm. No, this won't surprise Norm, but it might, might surprise everyone else. Yes. That actually happened to Canadians. It didn't happen at, in Halifax. <laughs> Nonetheless, still a great story. <laughs> <laughs> the story is true, but I just realized, I just realized that that was in Saskatchewan. So, oh my gosh. Anyways, still a good story. Enjoy so, it. So, okay, now so I'm now. recovered from realizing that I'm an idiot. Um, that's the second world championship. I, I did have a bad back at that world championships, but also, um, I had, and I had kind of what I call skater toe. So it's not a fungus, but it's heat or heat friction, and it kills the skin. 
between your little toe and the next toe. Oh, Lots ouch. of skaters get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. had got, I was getting it for the first time and I didn't know what it was. I thought it was athlete's foot. To be literally honest, it came so quickly that I didn't do anything about it. I was embarrassed to tell anyone. And for the short program, it was a hindrance. For the long program, I couldn't get my foot in my skate. So I realized at practice earlier that day that the more I skated, it kind of went numb. So for the long program, I put my skates on 25 or 30 minutes early, freaking out all my competitors because they're all like, why are you putting your skates on? Who puts their skates on that early? Nobody. No kidding. So And then I just tied them up tight and I walked around and stomped the floor until my foot finally started to kind of go numb. Take it off, run around a bit, put it back on for the five-minute warm-up. But I couldn't feel my foot. It was awful. So I had you- no feeling in my right foot. It was just... It was just and for you, shitty feeling. your right foot, that's your toe and foot. Uh, right foot was flip and let's yeah. take off if I did let's even. Yeah. Uh, but landing. Like I just, oh, of course, I all your just, landings. I was just hitting the ice on this numb, painful, ugly thing. And so at the World Championships, really when you won your second title, your left, your right foot was numb. It was, it was, it's psyched. It was, I was so scared. I, I would was think so there's scared. probably a lot of competitors out there that are like, maybe I need to make my, my right foot numb. But maybe that'll a, help me out. It seemed to work out for him. It wasn't a good skate. It mm. was, uh, it wasn't a nice long program by the men. And, um, it was kind of like who survived. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't remember it really well, but I remember thinking, um, that was not a world title mm-hmm. skate. Mm-hmm. But the short program, uh, I have a great story about mental strength. Um, before the championships, I decided that it would be super cool. Back when we didn't get marks mathematically, you got given marks for being, you know, super cool. I thought doing triple axel at the end in the last five seconds of my short program would be super cool. So you're the reason why we now have the second half bonus. <laughs> well, I knew that Victor Petrenko was going to do his triple axel, triple toe. I knew he was going to skate great. And a beautiful triple and axel, triple so toe. so if he does his stuff and I do my stuff, mm-hmm. then, and we're both great. Mm-hmm. And Victor, Chris is great. Like, What makes what the would, difference? What would, what would make the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, back when point eight isn't as important as first place or second place. Like... Back then, it was Orbitals. all about where you placed. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily... Well, there was no points. No. The, the five, 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 six just puts you in a certain placement. Right. And that placement was what was important. It right. was just... Right. First place has... You know. Or so, you, not only could you not build a lead, you also had a hard time catching up. Yeah. So... No Emmanuel Sand doing your way out of 13th to 1st. ISU four continents, championships. I think he came it was from... 18th, eight. right? I, I think so. And came up to 1st. There's been lots of examples of that. I remember at Challenge one year, there was a novice woman. Yeah. Uh, I believe that she came uh, near the bottom. Uh, she won the free skate and finished on the podium. And that's out of about that's 50, 60 girls. And that's oh, yeah. sport should be. It's, it's exciting. Um, but in, the, in these days, it wasn't. So yeah. I thought if I did my triple axel in the, in the very end, then I would be cool and mm-hmm. I would win. So I trained it in the Rogonor Club. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. For one week, I trained it. Never landed it once in one week. All the short program run-throughs that I did come around for the triple axel instead of double triple axel because that was back when it was axel and combo, axel out of steps, and the the double jump was double axel. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the warm-ups took about 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. You just warmed up your axel. (laughs) Anyways, I come around and I fall, miss, pop, fall, step out, miss, pop. Like all week. Never did it. So we wisely said, that's not a good idea. So when we're at a competition, it was normal. Triple axel, double or triple toe. And then footwork into triple axel, and then spins and footwork, ending with double axel. 
except in the competition, um, I did triple axle double toe only, and then came around, did the footwork, 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 off the heel, and I'm like, whoa. Went to single it, had that moment of collection, pulled in, and landed a bad double. But you got the landing. But I got the landing. So now I'm still clean, supposedly, because I did a double axle. Mm -hmm. So the judge is like, okay, well, not his best double axle, but check. So now I have a decision to make. I have this spot for a jump in the last five seconds of my program. Do I do a triple toe and get the check mark for a clean program? But that might not get me in the top three. Or do I do a triple axel? The one that at I'd the missed, end of the program. The one that I'd missed for a week straight. Mm-hmm. Great so, plan. If you watch the program, it's just me going. Should I? Should I? Should I? Should I? What do you, triple toe? If I do triple toe, does it? And I was even like, if it is a triple toe from that weird entrance, is it a three turn or do a mohawk? Which triple toe do I do? There are fans all across the country right now listening to this interview that are going to Google right now trying to find that program. Short program, 1989 Halifax Worlds. Yeah. No, 90. Halif- 90. Right. 89 was Paris, so 90 would have been Halifax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something happened at the end of my serpentine footwork that no one does anymore. So at the, uh, the last lobe those of my were serpentine long, footwork. Those three lobe serpentine step sequences. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you had to turn the other way. So I something came through my head. And I'll never forget it. I said, "Well, you got yourself into this mess. It's only you who can get yourself out." So there was supposed to be footwork before this triple axle. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a crossover, crossover, back outside edge, long hold, triple axle. Right at the end of the program. Right at the end of the program. So How was landed. the triple axel? Great. It was oh, good. Yeah. And, uh, so you were one out of eight that week. Uh, more like one out of 12. Now, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, because we were really trying to figure out it works. So we, we, we were practicing it there a lot and it just never worked. So it worked. It sure seemed to work out. Yeah. So took the deduction, stayed, and gave himself a chance to win the next day. So our audiences that are going to be watching the World Championships uh, in Montreal coming up this year in March, uh, what should they look for when they're watching the athletes out there in the practice? Oh, in practices or, so or in the event? Let's talk about the practices first. Okay. What should they be watching out there? Well, if it's dance, collisions. <laughs> um, but in the singles, there there isn't a lot of gamesmanship, but I like trying to find it. What would you call gamesmanship? Well, I would take, um, like, I would wait for Victor Petrenko to finish his long program. And as as he was hitting his finish his program, two seconds later, I come by with a quad or a triple axel, triple toe, like as close <laughs> as I could to him. Right in that moment. Just to take that energy and make it mine. So I would, like, literally <laughs> skate around and I knew his program. And, then, uh, and if I time it, if I come around here, here he comes. Right beside him. And then. It's like, oh, I didn't see you there. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So well, what do you know? Deal. Good to see you, Victor. You've done your program, right? I didn't get in your yeah, way. exactly. So that was on purpose. I would time it on purpose to just like, oh, Victor, but did you just see that? Do you think someone can help win or lose a competition by how they manage their practices? So moments like that that you talk about in a practice, what difference does that make for you? Your ability to manage uh, a practice? Well, it's kind of like the golfers that throw the ball in the air and hit it down yeah. the fairway out of the air. Yeah. It's just like if I can do that, if I can time my triple axle, triple toe right beside Victor at the end, I, you know, I yeah. got it. I've got this. I've got this. Um, so it wasn't a big deal. We never, I don't think anybody ever played games of like trying to be in their way hmm. or any of that. That that stuff, I never noticed that. But it was it was really about making sure that um, that you, we, we would talk about who won the practice, right? Mm-hmm. 
So 45 minutes later, who won the practice? Mm-hmm. And you, you almost always wanted to make sure that it was you. Who and you want to bring that practice. forward with you too, of course. Yeah. yeah. And remember back then, uh, it was more important to skate well in practice because the judges uh, didn't have YouTube and, you know, they weren't really judging you as mathematically. But it was starting- more, it was more about gut feel. Who you were. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, what can you do for me in this moment right now? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but you know, like, how did I feel all week after watching you skate all week? Yeah. You know, am I sitting here ready to give you that 6 or that 5-9? Or am I going, he's been a 5-8 or a 5-7 all week. Mm-hmm. So when you surprise them with the perfect skate, it it's hard for them to make the leap of faith up to the 5-9. Mm-hmm. You only get the 5-8 mm-hmm. because you've skated bad all week. Mm-hmm. And that's just human, that's just human nature. So now we're we're fast forwarding. Now we're coming to your last ever World Championships. Uh, what year was that? Do you remember? Ninety three. Okay. Yeah. And so, did you know going into that one that that was going to be your last World Championships? Were you yeah. still deciding going into it, or no? I, I decided. Yeah. So, what did it feel like for you? You've just finished your last world, your last free program at the World Championships. Obviously, you're going to be going on to lots of other opportunities to be in front of a crowd. How did that moment feel for you? I mean, after an incredible run, four world titles. Well, the the real story, uh, what happened after that? Um, as soon as you turn that off, I'll tell you. But um, <laughs> stay tuned for part two. Yeah. Uh, it, the Olympics in Albertville in '92 with my bad back, and I probably shouldn't have gone, but I couldn't even do Canadians. It was a terrible experience to have two slip discs and try to win worlds. I mean, the Olympics. Well, and it was two slip discs. Just uh, trying to put on your shoes must have was, been a terrible it was, experience. It was just. It was just awful. Um, they offered me to carry the flag. I had to turn it down because my back was bad, you know, that sort of stuff. And so um, competing in that and going through that, and it, it was it was hard, right? It was hard to be humbled at the Olympics when you were, a, I guess, a three-time world champion already. And it was, it was pretty shitty. Of course. So I couldn't leave it at that. I needed a good, strong Worlds um, to... Make sure that that's the last taste of my mouth. And lots of athletes do that. They'll stay a whole another year just to bow at Canadians one more time. And this time I did it right. They'll put their lives on hold. They'll put school on hold just to finish. And that's what I was doing, basically. So Prague, uh, I was very confident. I had Casablanca in my back pocket. I had the right costume, finally. The right the right tuxedo. You went through a couple different iterations of that tuxedo, didn't you? And that was not my idea. <laughs> and we will not talk about it. Um, I like the white tux, and, and I'm, I'm glad that classic finally got it to where I wanted. Now, um, my roommate at the time and a dear friend of mine, Norm Prof, um, <laughs> actually found his way to Prague. 24 hours on a train from Milan in northern Italy. To uh, to watch his buddy skate. So I had the opportunity to see you win the world championships. I also yeah. had the chance to see Lloyd and Isabel also win a world championships. I think I was in Prague for probably just over 24 hours. So I think it was probably maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. And then it was back on the train back down to Milan. So I was, uh, you know, there was no way I was going to skate bad in front of you. I <laughs> well, mean, thank you. So sometimes uh, we talk about the, the mind frame of a, of a skater, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that going into worlds that you wanted to occasionally get back to that topic. <laughs> We're having fun. But talk about mind frame. So if your if you're, um, capacity to see the big picture is just not happening. The Canadian championships have been injured. This is my last chance. There's the world. There's the Olympic team on the line. Um, I had a shitty week of skating. I, it's too, it's too much. So one of the 
things that I would use when it just felt too much for me. So um, that's a, my phone ringing, and we're not going to answer it. There's a nice phone ringtone back there right now. Um. Uh, um. So that <laughs> when I go, do you have voicemail so the, on that? At the work, if there was a. <laughs> you know, I knew that that thing rang a long time. It's too far away, so just live through it with us, folks. Okay, so we're so we're good. Um, so what I did uh, was just sort of made it, and and I was I was okay in that moment. It, that really wasn't my situation. I was ready to to do really well. I had won the short, and we had the skate off back then. We had to do your long. Then That's you did right. Your short. Yes. So I had won the long. I had won the short. I was ready to win the long again. You know, I was I was okay. But if all of that was too much, really what I was like thinking about was making sure that um, you didn't come all that way and see me crap. Oh. So, and yeah. in, in what I can describe it as is if it's just too big, like uh, Battle of the Blades is that show that I, I work with that you mentioned, where hockey players and figure skaters skate together, you know? So I'm just paraphrasing to make sure people know what I'm talking about. I had to do Brick House again. Sandra Bezik, uh, choreographer and, and boss lady, famous, asked me to do Brick House again. Famous uh, show number you did for I many, knew many there years. There was somewhere between 2.2 and 2.8 million people watching live. And I'm older. I'm, oh, I'm that was this like, season, wasn't it? No, no, no. I didn't do Brick House this year, but I must have been 40-something, right? Okay. Like, I'm, I'm older, hmm. and I'm skating hmm. live in front of 2.5 million people. Very, and very. And trying to do a program that I did 20 years earlier. Very tight leather pants. Yeah, very tight leather pants, the mm-hmm. whole thing. And I was, I was, I was scared. Doug LaDre, a friend of ours and uh, of course. and stuff like that, he was Christine Huff and Doug LaDre. So I said, Doug, I need you to do me a favor. And I had a fast, quick change right afterwards. I said, watch me skate the brick house. If you think I did a good job, um, oh no, I said, I've left a beer in the quick change, Doug. <laughs> I said, if you think I've done a quick, a good job, open the beer. If you don't think I did a good job, leave it closed. So I skated for that beer because there was no way. Everything else was so I big. Was, I was mentally ready to, yeah. to deal with all of that. So I just got on this. I was like, I really want that beer. So your motivation was the beer. 12 ounces. Huh. Yeah. So it, and it, and it's logically, it doesn't make sense. Of course, you're performing and you know that TV cameras are on. But somehow, when you can minimize it down to just, I want to skate great. I want to beat Keegan. You know, I'm yeah. Nam Nguyen. I want to beat my friend. I want to make sure that I give him a competition. Sometimes the moment can be so big just, that it's impossible to swallow that smaller. whole bite. Yep. Take, take a much smaller bite. So huh. when, um, when I watch skaters and I can just see... It's just their eyes are rolling in the back of their head a little bit. You know that they're questioning every three turn. Uh, they're they're just not they're not like you watch them in practice, even the warm up, and they did that edge. Then you see the same edge, and the arms kind of like not very high, and they're really straight up and down, and they're not on that lean. And you know they're questioning everything. They they're not enjoying it. And it's the exact same program they've done every, every single year. day I in mean, practice for, for month months, after months. month after month. Yeah. And so uh, self-aware, you know, try not to be so self-aware. Find the right size moment. 
make find the right size of moment mm-hmm. you know, and, and and own that. I do remember watching those world championships in Prague, and from where we were sitting, uh, there was a number of us sitting up. I think we were on the CBC broadcast stand uh, because there was no seats in the house, uh, so we're all sitting up there. And, Same building uh, where um, Donald Jackson, Jackson, nineteen sixty three, yeah, yeah, another incredible the performance. Same flower boxes that freaked me out. <laughs> same flower boxes that are in the video when you really? see Donald. Yeah, the same flower boxes were there. Once again, our fans are running back to YouTube to try and find <laughs> both those performances. But I just remember the warm-up. There was like an incredible sense of calm. Like it almost seemed, I won't say preordained, but there, you're, the way that you were going through the warm-up and the way you were going through the program, there wasn't, you know, you talked about earlier on how some of your performances were a real struggle. You know, you're having to yeah. sort of engage the core to try and hit some of those jumps. For those of us that were sitting there watching it, they were floating. Yeah. You were absolutely calm. It was like everybody in the building well, knew. It's like, guys, everybody's going to have a great skate here tonight. This is my night. Anybody out there is a golfer. They'll know what the word swing thought means. You know, mm-hmm. so you pull back the club, yep. and as you're coming down or whatever, what's what's what are you saying in your mind? And it's a very quick action. You pull it back and down, and the ball's gone. Um, but jumps are a very quick action, and and skating, you know, there's a lot of buildup, but the actual intensity is really quick. So how you feel about yourself is important because when the moment comes where you have to make a small correction, are you going to choose it or are you going to lose it? And I felt at that championships with the Sandra Bezik program, Casablanca, that I was a man. And because I was older than most of the other competitors, I felt like the only man. Like I was a man and you guys are boys and the only way anyone's winning is if I hand it to you on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. So and I, I did. I did really feel confident there. there. There really was a feeling of that that night yeah. in the venue, and it was fun because compared to the Olympic Games with a bad back, it, it was fun. So the back felt yeah. good at that one. But yeah, I was very healthy. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. Healthy. Well, we've been talking a lot about the feelings uh, of what it's like to be a competitor at the World Championships. I hope for our audience at home, uh, they're going to enjoy listening to this and it's going to help them enjoy the World Championships a little bit more, uh, having uh, gotten inside the head and the heart of one of Canada's yeah. greatest competitors. So, Kurt, uh, thank you for bringing us into your home. Yeah, and thanks for helping me remember a few things that I didn't remember. And, and also... It's fun to talk to you and to, to hopefully share it with skating fans, but to to go back to those emotions, you know, and to see yourself with a mullet. And then, you know, <laughs> but when you're watching the world championships, try to, um, it, it, on TV is one thing, but if you're there, everybody's real. The, the risk is real. The, 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 the look on their face is real. You see them on the warm up. I don't know. There's something visceral about how, vulnerable these athletes are so when you're watching on tv try to pretend that um that you know them and then you'll the emotion that you carry through the program will be more interesting for you they're they're not just the next skater try to pretend that you know them and that you you know you 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 know them by their first name and then somehow something some care sparks and then you become a bigger fan and you, you go on the roller coaster with them every single skater that's there at the world championships is a skater within a oh we're being raided and, uh, oh, well that's the end of the interview well with that one actually and it's a good thing we have an editing suite afterwards Kurt <laughs> thank you once again for your time and hopefully we Say can do again, this again sometime thank you uh, so um <laughs> and
end scene. Now, uh, Kurt, once again, thank you so much for bringing us into your home. By the way, I keep on saying us here, and a shout out to everybody out there, just to let you know. Um, my wife, choreographer, uh, mother of our daughter who just competed at the Canadian Tire National Skating Championships, yeah. Julie Bro has been sitting behind Kurt, and by the way, she's been uh, laughing a lot at a lot of the things you've been saying here but today. I, I remember when he phoned me when you were at the uh, Quebec Le Carnival. Le Ice Show. Le Ice Show. And he phoned me because I was your roommate at the time. He was like, you won't believe who I'm skating with. <gasps> and it was he goes, it's my future wife. No, you didn't say that, but that's what ended up happening. Actually, the first time we went for coffee, I knew that. Yeah. So skating Aww, fans everywhere. So we're ending on an aw. So skating fans everywhere, thanks very much for listening to us today. And hopefully we'll do this again sometime. What makes a champion? Thanks to Norm Proft, this month's blog reveals some of the stories behind the success of one of skating's greatest icons, Kurt Browning. Many thanks to Kurt and Norm for this month's episode. We'd invite you to join us again next month by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. By searching for Skate Canada Alumni Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen, you can automatically receive each new episode as they come out. We would also love to hear your thoughts on today's show. If you log into alumni.skatecanada.ca, you can post comments on today's episode, on any past episode, or on any one of the many blog posts that we share with our alumni and skating family. Once again, I'm Alex Kilby. Thank you again for joining us this month and hoping you'll join us again in a month's time for another glimpse into Canada's glorious skating history.